Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hello, this is Robert Smigel, founder of Canada's Podcast, where we talk to the entrepreneurs who are making it happen here in British Columbia. Today, our guest is Karen Richard. Karen is a recovering pediatric speech language pathologist, kidlit lover with a nerdy heart, and the CEO and co-founder of Made Live. Based out of Vernon, BC, Made Live is an AI-assisted end-to-end children's book publishing platform dedicated to simplifying the publishing process for aspiring authors. Transitioning from a career in speech-language pathology, where books were pivotal tools for developing language skills, Karen ventured into writing and self-publishing her own work, confronted with the complexities, inefficiencies, and gatekeeping prevalent in the industry. Hi, Karen. Welcome to Canada's podcast. And I appreciate you taking the time to, to share your entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journey with all our listeners. Thank you so much for having me today. I know speech language pathology is quite the mouthful. I trip on it all of the time and I can't tell you how many times I've said it. Okay. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't know exactly what that is and what you do exactly. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? We know you're in Vernon, BC, which is beautiful up there. And to give us a deep dive, quick deep dive into your business. Yeah. So Made Live, as you said, uh, AI-driven end-to-end self-publishing software. So um, really, as as the intro stated, you know, I had really wanted to write a series of children's books. I had a head full of ideas of like 20 plus books that I wanted to write. So time was of the essence and tried finding a solution that would help us do it faster and more efficiently. Uh, you know, self-publishing, especially your first book, generally takes on average upwards of five years because the process is so convoluted. Uh, we were looking at wanting to put out about one book every three to six months and really couldn't find anything that would would help it along. So that's really where everything with Made Live started from. And it was just a matter of figuring out what are the the barriers and the pitfalls and the the steep learning curves that happen and at what points and how can we utilize software to make that a lot easier. So it was really born out of, you know, the the traditional like, I'm my own first client. Um, It was something that we wanted to build for ourselves and then realized that if we needed this, this is probably something other people would would really benefit from as well. Is that when you made the transition, I guess, from working for someone else and becoming an entrepreneur? Was this the made lie that made the transition, the segue? Yeah, yeah. It was definitely the impetus. Um, it was a, a tough thing to let go of. I mean, be, going into speech pathology, it's a master's degree. So it's, you know, six years of university. Um, you know, I was working at it for almost 20 years. So being able to step away or having the 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 confidence or the guts uh, to just walk away from something I'd put so much time into was certainly not something I, I took too lightly, but it was pretty obvious from the get-go that it was not possible for me to work a 40-hour work week plus do this and have it, you know, bring it to market within the next 10 years uh, if I didn't really just just focus on it. So it really was the tipping point. I, I tried for a good chunk of time to do both and it just wasn't wasn't feasible. Some of the skills that you learned while you were employed, did you bring any of those skill sets over to being an entrepreneur? And what did you learn along the way? You know, even in speech language pathology, it's a very, you know, science focused, evidence based practice um, sort of a field where you don't do something just because you feel like your gut tells you it's the right thing. It's about, you know, what does the research say? What does the evidence show? 
Um, I think that idea of, you know, once you're trained as a scientist, it's kind of how your brain continues to work. So a lot of what I still do is very much sort of, you know, show me the data. I want to see the data. I want to make decisions based on data, not just gut. Gut falls into there too, but um, really, you know, aside from everything around children's books and, 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 you know, what makes a good kid's book, because I used books for language development all of the time. It was, you know, the core tenant of most of the therapies I would do. Um, but really it's just that, um, making sure what you're doing is the, the best laid plan, not just your best gut feeling, uh, has really been something that's carried over. And I was always somebody that was constantly trying to learn new things when I was in the field. And I really think that that has carried over, you know, I don't, I don't like to be stagnant. Okay. Did you need financing to start your company and how do you make money now? Yeah. So, you know, we were very lucky. Um, my co-founder is also my partner. Um, so partner times two and had been in startup for a number of years and had had a successful exit a couple of years prior to that. So we've really been able to lean on personal financing, doing all of the things they tell you not to do. Um, you know, use use your own personal, you know, your good credit or or whatever else to to fund the build. Um, that's what we've done, but it's been a very much matter of staying very, very lean. Uh, you know, we didn't go out and get office space. We haven't gone out and hired a bunch of people. It's just been nose to the grindstone until we get a product. Um, so I'm happy to say we launched an actual product that people can use uh, in November. So we are now in the process of just sort of soft launch, um, pr proving product market fit, making sure that we're making iterations to the software that, you know, it's not just what people said that they wanted, but what they actually want when boots hit the ground and they, and they actually get in there. Um, so we're, we're happy to say we're in revenue. Um, and this is hopefully going to be a really big year where we, uh, you know, really test what works and what people love and, and double down on those things too. Discover the latest trends, strategies, and success stories in the ever-evolving world of business. Canada'spodcast.com subscribe now. Give me a one piece of knowledge or information about your industry that you can share with our uh, with our listeners. Something that is kind of unique about your industry. And one thing I want to go back to your bio and something that really stood out is the complexities, inefficiencies, and gatekeeping prevalent in the industry. So maybe tell us a little bit about the industry and maybe tell us a little bit about that. What and, and if that does is a factor. Yeah. So, I mean, really, it's the the benefit of me coming at this from a perspective where I wanted to write the books and I experienced the issues is that I, I've gone through the same trajectory that a lot of people that our customers will be. So often when you think of of publishing, book publishing, especially in children's picture books, you think of, you know, the big five, which became the big four, the big publishing houses. Um, and that is often seen as the only legitimate pathway or the only really you know good option to go. Um, but what you find out very quickly is that you can't get in there without getting an agent and finding an agent is probably going to take you a number of years unless you've got, you know, the, unless you're the unicorn of the publishing world or you've already got a massive following. It's an uphill battle to get an agent and you can't get one usually until you've written something and you, you kind of know how to sell yourself that way. So a lot of people don't have that background. Um, so if you can't get the agent, you can't get the publisher. So what are you faced with? Well, then you look at self-publishing. Now, how do you write a good book? It's one thing if you're writing, you know, a novel, you, there's, you know, you can follow certain story arcs, but with children's publishing, your story is half illustrations and half words. So you, you really should be balancing the images with the, the text 
to be able to tell the story and have the, the reader who's the child and the parent entertained and feel intelligent and and be intrigued. Uh, you know, you can't preach at them. There's all these things of what goes into making a really good children's book. So writing it in and of itself is really challenging because you have to figure out what to leave out so that it can be shown in the images or what to strategically leave. It's almost like doing a pitch where it's like, you know, you want to plant the seed of like, what question are you asking? Or, you know, what's my lead into my next slide? How do I get them to turn the page? So really it's, that is a challenge in and of itself. And what we're finding now is so many people saying, I wrote this book. I've been sitting on it for you know a couple of years. I had one lady had been sitting on her story for over 25 years and it's incredible. And you can see the images come to life in your head, but that's where people get stuck. They've got this idea or this visualization of this is what it looks like, but I'm not an artist. So what do I do? So now you're stuck at how do I illustrate this and how do I do that efficiently and affordably? Um, that's a huge problem. And then, of course, once you get all of that put together, then it's the actual layouts and the formatting. And where are you going to self-publish? Is it going to be through Amazon KDP? Is it going to be through Ingram Spark? Are you going to find a local print shop and, and sell them at, at fairs and out of the trunk of your car? <laughs> you know, like you really have to know where you're going to figure out the path along the way as well. So it is just learning curve after learning curve and uh, you know, time and money and and challenge at every step of the way. Okay, let's talk a little bit about you live in Vernon. Um, what's the long term vision for your company? Do you see your company expanding into other areas beyond BC or even Canada? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's the 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 publishing and self publishing industries are large Canada, though. I mean, it's we're, we're a smaller market, but the the Lucky thing for us is being a, a software as a service, being a BDC SaaS, we're not really restricted by, you know, provincial boundaries or or even boundaries within the country. So our, our first market is really going after English speaking. So if we've got people who want to jump in and use it that are in the UK or we've got you know some people in beta that were in Sweden, um, there really is no no barrier to that whatsoever. Um, and in fact, the English speaking industry is the second largest uh, in, in terms of the children's picture book market. So, you know, once we do what we can do within English, it's a matter of looking at, uh, getting into the Asian market because they're actually the, the dominant force in children's picture book publishing. So we don't really see our physical location as any kind of a barrier, um, because we, you know, we don't need people coming into our store. We don't, we don't have, uh, any barriers in, in terms of that. So the, the beauty of being online is, is really the, you know, the 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 beauty and the challenges uh, of being online is that we can be anywhere and then we can be anywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, how do you define success and how do you celebrate your successes? Do you celebrate by acquiring clients or making a moving the needle in exposure or uh, what, what would you say would be some big um, success stories that have kind of given you the idea you were on the right track? Yeah, um, I will say to preface is I feel like I fall into the pitfall of focusing more on the challenges and not enough on the successes. I think a lot of people kind of breeze over. They go, oh, that worked. OK, on to the next thing. Um, so it's it's definitely been a concerted effort to take a step back and say, OK, what are the things that went well and what are the things that are successes? You know, for for me, for on a personal side, stepping away from my profession was you know one of one of the big first markers. It was I believe in this enough that I'm going to step back. 
And then, you know, fast forward a little while later was actually letting go of all of the registrations and certifications and licensing that I'd been holding, I'd been, you know, holding on to just in case. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that as a success. Um, you know, a, a big one for us was, you know, having beta users who are coming in and going, this is incredible. How soon can I use it? And, you know, reaching out to us while we were working on on improving the software saying, like, is it ready for market? Can I can I get in yet? Um, you know, those kinds of encouragements um, for, you know, in terms of exposure. Uh, just this past year, we had been part of the Total Mom Pitch, um, which was a, a company based out of um, Toronto and uh, a founder there who had it set up and I don't even remember where I saw it, but it was, you know, submit a video of what you're doing in your business. And I think they had almost a thousand women who submitted and we made it in the top 100 and then did another video pitch and made it in the top five and then had this crazy experience in in May of going out to Toronto and meeting a bunch of people and walking a red carpet and pitching on an 80 foot stage in in a ball gown, <laughs> you know, fancy dress pitching, which is something I would have never seen um, so, you know, there, there, it's a combination of, of external feedback saying like, okay, this is going well, this is a success and things that are internal. It's like, you know, if, if somebody else can see the, what we're trying to do and the, the value in it and the, you know, what people are going to get out of it. And that is very, very encouraging and, and something I see as success. Obviously, finally launching the product in November was like our biggest success to date. And now mm-hmm. it's just it's in, in front of the eyes and, and in the hands of more and more people this year. And, you know, we've got certain markers and goals that we want to meet kind of each quarter, each each year as well. Um, and it's just a matter of, you know, taking the time, stepping back and saying, like, th- we did it. We did that thing. And yes, we still have to do the next thing. But, uh, you know, give yourself a pat on the back and congr- congratulate yourself and congratulate each other. For those things as well. Canada's podcast is your gateway to success in the world of entrepreneurship. Start listening today. Canada'spodcast.com subscribe now. So you guys launched in November. I imagine you've been, you've been fairly busy uh, since then, obviously. How do you balance work? I know that uh, you're up in Vernon and so forth, but how do you, you know, entrepreneurship's a demanding job. We all know that. How do you balance life work? Do you have ways of going for walks, exercise, any kind of disciplines that kind of free your mind of being constantly immersed in your business? Yeah, you know, and especially we predominantly work from home. So that creates the the challenge. And and I know I'm not unique in this. You know, COVID made us all work from home people too, Um, at least at some point in time. It's, I wish I could say I have this like ironclad, amazing routine. you know, it really varies day by day. But I mean, my my routine every day is, you know, wake up, get the kid off to school because nothing's happening before that. Um, I have tried being part of the 5 a.m. club. You don't want to see me that day. Like, it's, yeah. it does not go well. Um, I wish I was that person, but I'm just not. I, you know, once I'm focused on something that has my attention and I don't divide my attention well. So the morning's got to be, you know, wake up, get ready, get the kid out the door, get the dog for a walk. And that's usually my reset between sort of like home life mom and work life. What are we going to do? And then because I work with my partner who happens to be my husband, uh, you know, we kick off the day of a quick stand up 
just like a lot of big companies will do of, you know, what are we going to do today? What's your focus? What's my focus? What are potential problems we see? Do we need each other? Um, and then a quick check at the end of the day of, you know, how did that go? And, and just continually sort of keeping that in mind. I've tried various, you know, physical space. It doesn't work always. Um, as a side note, I got a late diagnosis of ADHD. So there's a certain amount of just, I need to find novelty and ways to, to, to stay motivated. And sometimes it's don't work from the same location that in the house that you've been working from go, you know, work from the couch instead of a desk or, you know, yeah. move to the room, which they say you should never do. But sometimes just that change of venue is enough to keep me motivated and tuned in. So, um, you know, it's, I wish I was one of those people that was like, this is how I do it. Um, but I just don't. And I, we do our best when the the kiddo is back, you know, from school and around and activities of, of being tuned in and, you know, not being that parent who's on my laptop during, you know, sports games and, and whatever else. But it's, I heard somebody say at one point, it's not about work, work-life balance. It's about work-life integration and mm-hmm. figuring out and integrate the two. Uh, if you try to balance, it's always what's winning, what's losing. Whereas okay. integration is sometimes something has to take over and that's okay. And it, the pendulum will swing back. And it's just about how do you merge the two and live your life? And that has been something that I pretty consistently remind myself. It's not about balance. It's about integration. Okay, Karen, let's learn a little bit more about you. If you weren't doing what you do now, what would you like to do for a profession? Ooh, <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Um, be any, it can be anything in your current field. Yeah, probably. honest, probably like travel writer. Pay, travel pay me writer. to travel and and write. It's still writing related, which is, mm-hmm. is kind of, but, um, you know, I, I still haven't gotten back out and traveled a lot since COVID. Um, but... I, when I do travel, I, I really love just taking that step back and, and you know, sort of letting all of your senses take in everything that's different around you. And how would you make somebody, you know, see, hear, touch, taste, feel what you're experiencing at that particular moment? I think that would be really cool. Um, but I would probably end up putting some kind of entrepreneurial spin on it uh, just because, you know, it's, it's, who I am. It's what I come from. My parents are like that. My grandparents were like that. So, uh, you know, it's, I think it's in my blood. Good. What two words would you describe yourself? Give us two words to describe yourself and why. Me. Uh, enthusiastic and, um, oh, broad thinking. thinking. (laughs) I tend to, um, and I, you know, again, and maybe it's part of the, the ADHD probably is cause that's just my brain. Um, anything new I attack with gusto and enthusiasm and it's really hard to pull me away from, um, that the novelty is just so good. Um, and broad thinking, I tend to, I, I visualize a lot. So I, I, I'm very much a visual thinker and, and how I do everything. So I tend to look at, you know, this is where I am and I go broad. And then I try to figure out where I'm going. So I'm always kind of doing a, a sweeping, broad take in of whatever it is, whether it's, you know, I'm at an event or I'm reading a book. It's it, I'm not a very, you know, narrow on the track thinker. I'm always kind of divergently thinking about how this applies to a million other things. Um, so, yeah. Well, broad that's perspective. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, anything keeping you up at night these days? Are you the kind of the entrepreneur that um, can shut it off at night and just start your day fresh or you just, it's, it, it follows you? Does it follow you? It, it, it follows. It spins. Um, that's honestly been the biggest challenge for me, I'd say, in the last six months is figuring out what's a girl got to do to turn the brain off at night. Um, the things that keep me up at night are usually, you know, it's whatever the problem of the day is that I didn't finish. I really like to start something and, and tie it with a bow and be done and move on to the next thing. But that's not the way business works. So it's, you know, if I've had to put a pin in whatever I was doing, and I know I'm going back to that. It's usually the thing that my brain just keeps looping on. Um, and it's usually the thing that I have less fun on. So I hate spreadsheets. I don't like crunching numbers. I, I'm not an accountant for a very good reason. So usually it's anything in terms of budgets and spreadsheets and finance and, and, and those sorts of things are usually the ones that stress me out and keep my attention. Um, but sometimes the keeping me up at night is excitement, not just stress. So. Wow. Okay. Okay. You've been an entrepreneur for some time. Is there any advice you've received along the way that you can pass on to, entre to entrepreneurs throughout Canada? If someone said to you anything that has inspired you, whether it be a mentor or an entrepreneur that you've met at a networking event, whatever that looks like, something that resonated with you that you know you could pass on to entrepreneurs that uh, kind of had an impact on you. Yeah, you know, I I fairly recently was working with an advisor and I would say more of a non-traditional advisor in that his take on things like fundraising was non-traditional in that, you know, there you especially as a startup founder, you you pick up books or you attend sessions or whatever and there's they're always trying to sell you on a playbook or like this is how to do it. But often the really interesting stories are the people who didn't do it that way. And it's like that, yeah, that can work, but that's not always the way it has to happen. So the advice was around the fact that, you know, you're, it, you're not failing if you're not fundraising, that you don't, there's always this mentality that you always have to be fundraising and you always have to be putting yourself out there. But what if you just channeled that energy and effort into building an incredible product and getting to revenue and making your customers happy and, you know, addressing that later? Um, you know, it, and essentially that has bled into just because that's what works for somebody else or that's what um you know the messaging that you're getting from the masses it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what applies to you in your business you know for us software as a service saas is typically b2b so a lot of the saas supports and information and whatnot is about selling to businesses and their their strategy and their process is completely different than if you're direct to consumer or b2c so it's been a matter of just being able to apply that and say, okay, here's the advice, but now what of that do I want to take out of it? And I don't have to be trying to shove myself into these rules, quote unquote. Um, you know, there's a certain amount of setting your own that's encouraged and allowed. And, and I think more people would, would do well if they just did that. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and, yeah. and, Go to your own evidence. It, it's not the evidence of this is what worked for this other company, but you know, you know your company. So is that the right choice for you? Or is it just generic advice that you're maybe too, paying too, too much mind? 
Join our thriving community of like-minded individuals who share a passion for success and innovation. Canada'spodcast.com Subscribe now. Would you do anything differently uh, since you started Made Live and you guys have continued on in, since the beginning? Is there, if you could go back, say, a year and go, you know what, I probably would have done this differently. Back a year, probably not. Um, if I had to go back further, it would probably be to go full on sooner. Okay. Um, get in, in and tell my, like, you know, that if I had to tell myself something, you know, me a few years ago, I would yeah. say get, keep a really amazing mentor as soon as you can and, and a consistent one. Um, mentorship was not something that's necessarily baked into my previous career. Uh, you know, you've, you've got management, but it's not necessarily mentorship. So, you know, it, I, I, I feel very lucky to have a couple of really great advisors and mentors now. Um, and they've really come out of the last, say, 12 to 14 months. Um, so it would just be to do that and, and build those relationships sooner, which is, hard to say because a lot of them naturally came out of things that I was doing along the way. So, you know, had I set out to try to find one sooner, I'm not sure how one does that, but, Mm -hmm. um, mentorship has been really, really incredible for us. Okay. So you'd recommend that to any entrepreneur that is. Yeah. Well, especially you, you really get stuck in your own space, um, and in your own, your, your own thought process. So having, you know, fresh eyes, fresh opinions, and sometimes just words of encouragement of like, why not you? Or, you know, you're, you're really smart. You can do this. Um, just, it's not just telling you what to do, obviously, but it's, it's just that encouragement of like, no, you're on the right path and, and you're doing the right things. Um, or maybe have you considered this? It's, it's just been absolutely monumental for me specifically in the last year. Okay. We're going to wrap things up here, Karen. Um, how can our listeners get hold of you? Is there anything you'd like to add before you leave us today? Yeah, um, if they want to reach out to me, all of our Made Live socials are all at Go Made Live um, on all of the big ones. Um, if anybody wants to email me personally, just Karen at Made.Live. Um, and, you know, it's so far a lot of the the input we've received and, and um, you know, the people that we've interacted with have been, it's it's always I want to do this or my neighbor wants to do it or my mom wants to do it in terms of self-publishing a children's book. And if they want to and they're feeling stuck or they're not sure if we're for them, you know, reach out, send me an email. I'm happy to jump on a call. I'm happy to to send emails and chat and um, and help out if if we're not the help that they need. You know, I, I've got a pretty solid understanding of the uh, the the industry as as it goes and have offered a lot of advice there, too. So if anybody's got any questions for me, I'm happy to chat with them as well. Is that a big market? Do you get approached a lot by a lot of people? I imagine it was like, I have an idea. Do you get do you get that a lot? Oh, constantly. When people find out what we do, it's, yeah. I wrote a book and I haven't done anything with it. My mom did. My sister did. My cousin did. You know, it's just, the. it's always like one degree of separation of somebody yeah. who wants to do it. So, you know, it it really is because, and I think it's any any industry that has a lot of gatekeeping. It's people have dreams and they maybe haven't prioritized it because they don't know how to do it. Um, so the idea of like, oh, if this got easier, would you? So yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. What I find interesting too is that you know when you look at, at the history of the, some of the biggest published books that we see, whether it be Harry Potter or whatever, they were turned down a lot. Like. 
my question is, is that you've got this senior executive, head of publishing, years of experience, et cetera, et cetera. The, the, the credentials go on forever. And they flat out tell these people, no, it yeah. will never work. Yeah. How does that happen? Well, I mean, it's because it's one mind. It's one opinion. I mean, you know what yeah. they say about opinions are like, everybody's got one. Um, it is it is one opinion. And they're a business. They are very similar to VC. Like the, 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 the parallels are uncanny. So, you know, it's the people with the money at the top who are trying to decide what the next big thing is going to be or which thing is going to sell a hundred thousand plus copies. But that's their goal is to make all of this money because they're, you know, they're very people heavy in that industry. You know, you've, you've got to pay for your, you know, the agents bring them in and then you've got your at different levels of editing and you've got your illustrators and you've got your copywriters and you've got all of these formatting people at various levels all the way across. So it's a very expensive thing for them to publish a book. So, you know, it's, they, they have to feel like it's a smart business play, um, which is okay. why, you know, you're Britney Spears. Of course, we're going to publish your book. You're Madonna. Yeah. You want to write a children's book. Yes, of course. And she will sell just because she's got the name behind her. But, you know, the series of books I wanted to do, which was around language development strategies within the book and help for parents who are stuck on wait lists, because I had, you know, two, three year long wait lists of parents who were like, my kid's not talking. I'd like some help. And they didn't know what to do. My ideas were all considered too niche. And I was like, wait, so parents who want their children to develop good language skills is a niche. Okay. <laughs> yes, that's a tough sell for you, but maybe not so much for, for me if I do it directly and can certainly make, you know, make more yeah. than the, the sliver that I would yeah. make if I published traditionally. So, you know, it's, it's, you've got just a few key decision makers and it's the, the parallels between that industry and startup and tech and fundraising and finance. It's, it's, yeah, they have to rely on what they know and they have to make their smart business decisions for what they think is going to make them the most money. And they miss. They you do. know, they, every VC's got a story about the thing that they missed that I they imagine. wish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, just, it, yeah. it looks like that's a dumb idea. Next thing you know, it's like, oh my God, how did I miss that? Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's defining success too, because, you know, for the publishing house to make really great money, they want to sell 100,000 copies of a book. But if I self-publish and I'm making far more than the royalties I would get through a traditional publisher, I don't need to sell a hundred thousand to yeah. make the same amount of money. So, you know, it's, it works. I don't think that industry is going to die. It has, it has its place. Um, but the self-publishing industry is booming. There's a reason for that. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Karen, thanks for coming on the show. I've learned a lot about you and I'm sure our listeners have as well. We'll see you next time. Awesome. Thanks so much.